Well, today is one of those messages that you don't necessarily have to, to dress up. And what I mean by that is usually when I, when I put a little window into the process, when I put a sermon together, I try to think of stories and illustrations to help kind of hammer this thing home. But today's passage in Matthew chapter 8 really stands on its own and has a very, very powerful, convicting challenge for us all, at least for me, as I, as I began to read it this week and study it and, and look at it, I, I was very much challenged in, in thinking, do I, do I have this type of, of faith as what I'm reading about? And so hopefully as we go on this journey together this morning, you'll wrestle with that as well. So I'd invite you to open up uh, your Bibles. And so in the back of the pews, there are Bibles there. You can note page 966, Matthew chapter 8 that we're going to be looking at. We're also going to bounce over to Luke, because Luke talks about this same story in chapter 7, and we're going to have a good old time with that. Before we uh, talk about the Lord, as our pastor Jerry says, let's pray real quick. Gracious Lord Jesus, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that if there is anything that is blocking my heart, if there's anything that's blocking the hearts of the people here in this room, and those watching at home, that you would remove it, that we would hear your voice, that we would be drawn to your feet, that we would be filled by your Holy Spirit, and that for those of us in here who may not even know who you are, who may be coming in here with a view of you as, as being incapable of answering prayers or incapable of caring, Lord, I pray that as we talk through what this story is showing us, that hearts would be softened. And that those who may not know you would come to know you and proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ and have a seat at your table. And so, Lord, be with us and guide us in this message as we open up your word and see a truth, a powerful truth about what it means to believe in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And it's true, you may be coming in this morning with a view of the Lord as being distant. I don't know what folks may be going through. I know that we'd always talk about week after week, it seems like, of, of the craziness that is in our world that's swirling around. And it may, you know, impact you a little bit. It may get into your stuff and mess with you. But today, as we see the faith of someone very unlikely and how he approached the Lord, may we see just how big and vast and powerful and mighty Jesus is. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Here we are in, uh, we have just left uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we're in a worship series right now called Come See, Then Go and Tell the Good News of Jesus Christ. And what, our, what we're doing this whole summer is walking through the Gospel of Matthew and coming to the Scriptures like, Lord, we want to see you. We want to see what's going on. We want to see the teaching, see the truth. What is it that Jesus is, is doing in that time, and what is the challenge for us now? And then how do we leave these walls, this building, day after day? You've got a whole week ahead of you with a story to tell. That, that what we learn in here and how excited we are that we get about Jesus and the songs that we sing don't stay contained in this building. It doesn't do any good, that we would be able to take it out. And so let's look at that. So here we are. Jesus has left 
the Sermon on the Mount, he's come down, and in the beginning of chapter 8, there is a healing that happens with the leper. Spoiler alert, Jerry is going to preach on that on June 26, and so it's a little out of order, but after you've pastored for 17 years out of place, I guess you, we can afford him a little bit of grace to do what he wants. So, uh, so that's going to come up in a couple of weeks. But now we get this next story. And the reason why I bring it up is that this whole chapter 8 and into chapter 9, there's a lot of healings. There's, there's a string of thought that's kind of happening as you go through. Let's zoom in here and, and look at one of those things. This is the faith of the centurion. Hear now the word of the Lord, verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, this is Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now, word servant there, some translations may have it as son. And, and the reason being is that this, it's an odd Greek word that, that Matthew's using there. That kind of means child, but also kind of servant or slave uh, along that, that elk. And so some translations may say son. Some commentaries may think it was the centurion's son. I think if we look at it here and then when we see it in Luke, I think it's servant. I think that is probably the better reading of it. And that is important when we get to Luke. So just hold that in your, in your cap. The Lord, my servant, is, is, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and suffering terribly. And so Jesus said to the centurion, well, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied and said, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But, but only just say the word. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Well, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And if you look at that verse 10, he marveled. If you've got your own Bibles, I'd underline it because it's, it's a significant phrase. In fact, I feel like the only other time that Jesus marvels like this is at the unbelief of his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. To marvel means to be uh, awestruck, wonder, cause confusion, be amazed. It kind of has a double-edged sword there. He is amazed at what the centurion has said and then looks to those who are following him and says, I have not found faith like this in anyone in Israel. And then goes on, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. East and West meaning outsiders, not, not the Jewish folks, not the Israel nation. Outsiders from East and West are going to re come and recline, not just at my table, Jesus says, at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He triples down to make sure that those who were Jewish and around him understood that what this centurion was doing is far surpassing anything that they've even thought of. They're going to come and recline at your table, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, which is a huge bombshell right there. Outsiders will be able to recline, but you who think you are sons and daughters of this kingdom, you will not. You will be cast out. 
with weeping and gnashing of teeth. That phrase is everywhere in Scripture, and every time I see it, I always want to snarl when I say it, just because weeping, gnashing of teeth. And what is gnashing of teeth anyways? But anyway, so that is what's, that is what's happening here. And what I would say to you also is even though Jesus is talking to the Jewish folks that are surrounding him, this is not just a Jewish problem. We need to see now in our current context that sons and daughters of the kingdom, you can replace that sons and daughters of the church. That outsiders, the outsiders may have stronger faith in who I am and rightly proclaim who I am and you who are on the inside may be sorely missing it. So he says to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's happening here? So we have a centurion. Raise your hand. Do you know what a centurion is? Can you get an image? Raise your hand if you have an image of what a centurion is, right? This is a Roman, Roman citizen, most likely a military guy. He's a centurion. He's kind of a captain of a hundred people. That's where you get the word centurion from. So being that he is Roman and being that he is uh, of somewhat, somewhat prestige as a military captain, it is extremely odd that he would come to Jesus in this manner. Because the Jewish nation at this time is subjected to Rome. Typically, Romans would call those folks dogs. That's how they would, how they would refer to, to people who are outside, who are not as in that elite class. And yet this Roman centurion comes and, and, and looks at Jesus and has this profound statement of understanding Jesus' authority, saying, you have the authority, just say the word and it will be done. How in the world does this outsider, this Gentile, have such a huge statement of faith that Jesus says, no one in Israel possesses at the moment. Nobody in Israel possesses at the moment. They don't know what you know, sir. How does that happen? How is this unlikely Roman centurion who would have no other ruler but Caesar look at Jesus and say, you have the authority to do this? And it just strikes me as odd because I think of the Jewish Pharisees and the religious muckety-mucks of the time when Jesus was, was on trial, looked to Pontius Pilate and said, we have no ruler but Caesar. And here's a centurion who would rightly believe that and is saying, ah, you've got more. How? How does that happen? Well, the Gospel of Matthew only zeroes in on a little bit here about the faith of the centurion. And I think, I think, if I had to guess, I think the Gospel of Matthew is trying to hyper-focus really in on the big faith statement, that just say the word and it'll be done. In fact, for our time today here, uh, for our service and our sermon here, if you're going to remember one thing, just remember this profound statement of faith. Oh, Lord, just say the word. You say that with me. Oh, Lord, say the word. One more time. Oh, Lord, say the word. That would be the thing that I want you to hold on to because it is such a powerful statement of faith that is being uttered by someone who should not have any concept of this whatsoever. 
And so we go now to the Gospel of Luke. Thankfully, we've got four Gospels. And a lot of times, especially the first three, they stand in concert with each other and we get different perspectives of this story. So turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and now hear what Luke has to say because we get a little bit more information as to how this centurion would be able to, this outsider, would be able to look to Jesus and say, you have the authority to heal my servant. Caesar doesn't have it. I don't have it. You have it. How does he know? So in chapter 7, Luke says, now Luke gives us a little bit more. He's a doctor. He's a little bit more verbose. Any doctors in the house that like to speak, you know, that you can just kind of go right along with Luke here. So he gives us a little more. And it's a different perspective. So verse 1, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, so after the Sermon on the Mount, he entered into Capernaum. So they agree, they're going to, Jesus is going to Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Stop. We're going, Luke is now giving us more information than Matthew. Luke is giving us an inside look at the character, at the heart of this Roman centurion. And we are to see that this Roman centurion is different. He values his servant, highly values. That word servant in there is doulos, it means slave. He highly values his servant in whom he would probably call dog or treat horribly. But this centurion, something's different about him, and he is troubled that his servant is ill because he highly values him. So then Luke, so it shows his heart of compassion. So then Luke says this, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built us our synagogue. Okay, so here's where Luke and Matthew kind of part ways a little bit. Matthew has it that the centurion's coming face to face. Luke has it that he sends a, a people as representatives to go and talk to Jesus. I'd say both can stand in harmony. And the reason why Luke is saying that he sent representatives to him highlights the fact that the Roman centurion not only has great compassion for the lowly, just like Jesus, but is also in great humility to Jesus. I'm not worthy to come into your presence. Let me send some elder Jews to you to plead on my behalf. Now, what is shocking is that they are Jewish people who come to Jesus and say, this centurion, he's worthy of you providing this healing. He's, he's a friend of ours. He's built us our synagogue, and this is where I find the answer as to why the centurion is different and an insight to the power of Jesus' word. Not just Jesus' word, but the word, the holy triune word of God and how powerful it is. What I, so, what, so if he is a friend and built the synagogue 
I can read into that safely and assume that then he was surrounded by the stories. He was surrounded by the telling of the Torah. He was surrounded by all of the stories of the great faith that are in the Old Testament. Perhaps he heard about Abraham, who when Abraham was told by God to get up and go, what did he do? He went. And when Abraham was told, you're going to have a beloved son, and, and then he has him, and God says, go take that son and sacrifice him on a mountain for me, what does Abraham do? He takes wood and puts it on that beloved son and says, let's go, we got to worship the Lord. He listens and he obeys. Maybe it wasn't Abraham, maybe it was Moses, and he listens to the story, the centurion listens to the story of Moses, who brought his people out of Egypt, who when God called Moses and said, hey, you're going to be something special and awesome and do great things through you, Moses is like, ah, check your roles again, I don't think I'm qualified. And they have this little conversations in Exodus, it's really profound. Moses and God kind of have this ping pong conversation, and then finally God is like, okay, you have a brother Aaron. Aaron can be your mouthpiece, but you're still going to be this, this ruler. You're still going to do amazing things. And Moses does tremendous things. The, the Ten Commandments, all the stuff, right? Maybe it was that story. Or maybe it was a childhood story that we all come to know and love in Sunday school of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These three guys who were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And before they go in, it's because they weren't going to worship the king's idols. And before they go in there, they looked to the king and said, you know what? God has the power to free us from this. But if he doesn't, O king, be it known to you, we're not going to worship your idols. The Old Testament is full of stories of people who have such profound faith in God. And I would say that the centurion heard all of that. It's not like the centurion became Jewish. If the centurion was Jewish, he would have gotten circumcised. He would have gotten all these things that would have happened. Their idea of evangelism is a little bit different. But they, he heard, he had to have heard the stories. And then look at now the power of the word of God. That Jesus going into Capernaum discovers that the word is already there. Jesus, the Word made flesh, who at this appointed time is ministering to these appointed people, goes to Capernaum, hears an outsider who shouldn't know a ding-dong thing about this at all, and this outsider, this Roman centurion who is subjected to the authority of Caesar says, you know what? You have this authority, and you can say the Word, and my servant will be healed. The only way that that could possibly happen is the truth that when God's word goes out, it does not come back void. And he says to Jesus, not only can you just say the word, he says, your type of authority is one that I am used to. You can tell people to come and they will come. You can tell people to go, and they will go. And you can tell servants to serve, and they will do that. That is a recipe right there. Highlight that in your scriptures as well. For obedient faith. Do we come when Jesus says come? Do we go wherever he sends us to go? 
And do we serve people along the way in humble submission to him wherever we go? Because that's the type of faith that Jesus is looking at the centurion and marveling. The power of God's word is so powerful that it can make the unlikeliest of people, a Gentile, a Roman centurion with all sorts of mixed bag theology of things to look at Jesus rightfully so and say, you have this authority and all you have to do is say the word. And if you just say the word, Lord, my servant will be healed. And of course, Jesus looking at this, mind is blown. The one who we call the amazing grace is amazed. The one who grins awestruck one is wondered at all of these things. And he says to him, go and your servant is healed. It highlights another powerful thing that we can pray to Jesus with great hope and expectancy and know that he will listen and he will do what is within his will and authority to do. Don't look at this passage as Jesus being a genie that if we just say, hey, Jesus, make me win the lottery. Hey, Jesus, get me that job. Hey, Jesus, cure that cancer. Hey, Jesus, fix this relationship. That in the midst of those things, if the answer, if the word is no, would we still have the type of faith that would come when he says come, that would go when he says go, and that will serve all the people that he calls us to serve? That's where my wrestle came in. That's where my wrestle came in. As I've said to you before, I've got three wonderful children. I've got a wife. I've leveled up in that regard, and, and I'm just always concerned that if something were to happen, as my calling in life is to stand in front of you all and preach the goodness and the faith of Jesus, if something were to happen, would I still be okay? Would I still have that faith like this centurion? Many of you all have walked in the shadow of death of friends and family. Many of you all have experienced loss and broken relationships, and it probably has knocked at that faith. But let us be reminded just how powerful the word of the Lord is that even though for this season and this time it may not go the way that you want it to go, he is still working for his appointed glory and time. He is still working to bring all things better and good and awesome for him and for us. That just because we may lose somebody to a disease or whatever does not necessarily mean that their story is over if they've professed a faith in Christ. That their answer to prayer was their perfect healing. Would we have the faith of the centurion that would come when he says come, go when he says go, and serve as we went along? It's a huge challenge. It's a huge kind of mind thing to think about. And I was listening to a pastor named Tony Evans, who, uh, he's a Baptist pastor, so if you're Baptist, good for you. If you're not Baptist, don't judge me. Uh, he's wonderful. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to him. And he gave a devotion about faith. And he says that, you know, faith is, is kind of, it's kind of like this. What faith is, it is anticipating what you're looking 
forward to and having this expectation that God will answer prayer and that God will do what is the best thing that God can do. Faith is expecting from God, moving in sync with God in obedience, and then to see more of him in your everyday life. If you're challenged like me in thinking, if my boat is rocked, will I still have that type of faith? Then maybe your God is too small. And so what Tony says is that if you want to grow stronger in faith, then you must grow the image of how big your God is. So many of us put God in a box and we think he can't handle the things that I am handling. Or we put God in a box and be like, I don't like what your answer is. I'm going to do this instead. And then wonder why we have crises of faith when things just don't go the way that they're supposed to go. How big is your God? How much do you rely and trust in him? If you really sit and wrestle with that, that'll get into your stuff too. Because we want to think that our God is amazing, awesome, and wonderful. But then when we think of all the conditions, we think, oh, I don't know about all that. But here is this centurion who has not witnessed anything at all other than just the word of the Lord. And he looks at Jesus and says, heal my servant. You can just say the word. You don't need to touch him. You don't need to come. You can just say it and it'll be done. Just say the word, Lord, and see the mountains crumble. Just say the word, Lord, and see the blockades of our faith fall. Just say the word, Lord, and heal my broken heart. Just say the word, Lord, and let me resign and, re and recline in you and rest in you that what you say is going to be good. So what did we come and see today? We came and we saw an unlikely guy who had an unlikely heart towards those who were less than him give authority to someone whom no one is giving authority to yet and lean and entrust in him in such a way that a miracle will happen by just an utterance of a word. To the centurion, his God is big. And he didn't even know it. And so the story that you leave here to tell others in the midst of whatever they may be walking through is that our God, our God is big and his shoulders are huge and you can lean on him and place things on him and he will walk you through whatever it is you're walking through. It may not stop it. It may not, the, the end may be a different end than what you ever thought, but he is with you every step of the way. Because our God is a great God, and our God is with you. That's it. That's the faith of the centurion right there. I don't know how else to tie a bow on that, but basically what I joked with people was I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up here and just be like, the Roman centurion had faith. Jesus was amazed by it. Do that. So that's what I want you to do, okay, is to have that same type of faith and to grow in that and just to take a moment and wrestle and think, how big is my God? What box have I may have put him in? Be challenged by it and to grow deeper in it.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your amazing blessings, and I pray that in the midst of everything that is going on, there's so much that is going on, and it's so easy. It is so easy to lessen your impact, to not trust in you, to walk a path that we have designed ourselves, to trust in our own power. Lord, shake us that we may see that that is, that is a, just a very limited view of who you are. Lord, say the word and bring all of us to your feet. Say the word that we may proclaim your glory, your majesty, and your wonder to those who may not know who you are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.